Well, it was 236 years ago, July 4th, that we declared our independence from an oppressive king, an oppressive government, and a new nation was born. But boy, not, not just a new nation, not just a, another nation in the list of nations, but kind of a, a new and a unique experiment that would seek to be a, a respecter of all peoples, a respecter of all faiths, a, a democracy, a republic, a, a nation that would look to the Bible, build itself on biblical principles. You know, I know there's a lot of debate today about just how Christian were the founding fathers and whether they were in actuality Christians or theists or deists or what was their actual label. And most of that debate is really to try to rewrite history away from America's Christian roots. Because regardless of what any one founding father was, they were in fact respecters of God in the Bible. And they purposely, they publicly pointed the nation to the Bible, to God, in, in this thing they were building called this new nation, the United States. And, and while they built a nation that would respect all faiths, they unashamedly and publicly guided people to Christianity and her scriptures for help and for guidance in how we lived in this, in this new nation and that's why I think in many respects, July 4th is a, is a celebration not just at the beaches and the lakes and the picnics and with fireworks, but July 4th is a celebration in the church. And we know that all over this country today, there's God and country services taking place in so many churches. And yet, having said all of that, would I just be crazy to even ponder the idea that this thing we call the American Revolution might have been, just a question to consider, an act of disobedience to God? Now, before you run me out, don't do that. Let's go ahead, though, and turn to Scriptures. Would you turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 13? Romans chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. I hope you'll grab one, or if it's down the row, have somebody hand it to you so we can all study along together. Romans 13. I'm continuing uh, in my study in the letter to the Romans. We finished chapter 11 last week, which means we should be in chapter 12 today, but chapter 13 just fits in as you're going to see so well with what we're doing today. So I jumped ahead, but we'll come back to 12. As a matter of fact, we're going to have several sermons uh, out of Romans chapter 12. But anyway, today, Romans chapter 13, look at verse 1. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do good, and you will have its approval. For government is God's servant to you for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on those who do wrong. Therefore you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's public servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, 
Respect to those you owe respect and honor to those you owe honor. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And if there's any other commandment, all are summed up by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Verse 11. Besides this, knowing the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the daylight is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. Now folks, clearly if you look at verse 1, verse 2 there, it, it would not be hard to make a case that this beloved, almost sacred document that we call the Declaration of Independence could quite possibly have been an act of disobedience to God. I'll bet a Christian from Britain could make that, make that argument. What do you think? Now, is that the argument I'm making today? Am I saying the American Revolution, the Declaration of Independence was an act of disobedience? No, I'm not making that argument. Nor, nor do I believe that. Am I going to prove it today? No, I'm not. Because that's not what Romans 13 is about. You see, Romans 13 is not going to guide us. It's not going to help us on when it is just to go to war. It's not going to help us on when civil disobedience is just. I believe there are passages that would guide us toward that. But that's not what Romans 13 is about. Romans 13 is about how you and I live in government, not how and when we take it on. It is going to guide us on how we honor and respect and put on Christ under whatever government we find ourselves, not when it's right to go another direction. The directions in Romans 13 were for the colonists. The directions in Romans 13 were for Americans, black and white, in the 1860s, in the 1960s. The directions in Romans 13 were for those Christians, can you imagine, in Hitler's Germany in the 1930s. I think of somebody like a Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And these directions are for you and for me. You know, when you think of what governments have done and what times have been like, you might look at these and think, Paul, you've lost your mind. Paul, you don't, you don't live in the real world. Do you know how bad governments can be? Do you know how evil, how wrong governments can be? And I think Paul would have the right to say, yeah, I've got some insight on that. Can, can you imagine? Paul is writing a letter to a church in the center of Rome. A government headed up by the emperor Nero. A government. Can you imagine the very first human ears? Paul's letter arrives to the church. The pastor stands up and says, guys, the apostle Paul has written us. Listen to what he says. And the very first human ears to hear this letter read out loud. Some of those ears were going to be fed to lions. Some of the people in that room that day that would have heard this would have been covered in pitch and tar and strapped to a post that would have outlined Nero's parties and then lit as human torches. 
Paul himself, who would tell this church to honor the Roman government, would be beheaded by that government. Yeah, I, I think Paul knows. I think he knows how bad a government can be. And yet it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Paul gives these directions to those believers in that church there in the center of Rome that he gives those directions to you and me. I want to make two points today on God, on government. There could be more points made out of this passage, but just two kind of simple points. And the first one is, folks, is that God gives us governing authorities. Authority comes from Him. They're placed by Him. You know, it's interesting again to note that as Paul writes this, this isn't to American believers or Roman believers. It's to all believers. To all believers, wherever they are, whatever government they find themselves under, these directions come to them. You might also note that nowhere in Scripture is one kind of government ordained by God. You won't find a passage that says, and this is what God's government looks like. This is the kind of government God likes. Now that's not to say that God doesn't have an opinion on governments. That's not to say there aren't some governments that really displease God. That there's not some governments that He's more favorable of. It's just to say Scripture does not suggest one kind of government. What it suggests is that all governments, all authorities come from Him. I mean, isn't that what we hear Jesus saying before Pilate? You remember Pilate is trying Jesus and, and Pilate says, now Jesus, work with me here. I mean, you do recognize I, I have the authority to execute you. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? You have no authority except what? Except what my Father has given you. Jesus is actually quoting, he quoted it before it was written because it was his word. But he's quoting himself as he gives this word to Paul. 30 years later, no authority except what my Father has given you. Now, looking at that simple principle, I've got to be honest with you, it kind of messes me up. God, I've got a problem with some of the governments you've given. <laughs> God, I've got a problem with some of the people you've allowed to have authority. You know, why, why this? Why that? And, you know, as I studied this passage, as I read over it, I began to realize, you know, this passage is not saying God gave all the different forms of government. It's not saying that, you know what, I'm going to give that nation uh, fascism. I, I'm going to give this nation socialism and I'll, I'll put some communism over here and we'll put a little democracy in over it. That's not what this passage is saying. It's just simply saying God gave us government. The concept, the idea, God, people being governed, that comes from God. Because here's what does not come from God. Anarchy. Anarchy does not come from God. The, the idea of, of everybody living and doing what is right in their, own idea, in their own mind is not from God. Believe it or not, folks, that would produce worse sin and worse chaos than even what we've seen some of our worst governments produced by sinful man bring about. So government, the concept, the idea is from God. He gives people authorities. By the way, there's three institutions that God gives the earth. Three organizations that God gives humanity. The family, the church, and government. And in all three of these institutions, there is an authority structure. And in all three places, he says to honor authority. I give that authority. But now, folks, the fact God gives it means those that receive it are answerable to him for it. 
That might be the only hope we have sometimes. This guy's going to have to answer for that. <laughs> this person's going to have to explain what they did with their influence, with their leadership, with their authority. And, and honestly, folks, I think there are going to be. I think there's going to be some presidents and kings and emperors and tyrants and governors and congressmen and judges that ought to fear the day they have to stand before God and give an account of what they did with that authority that God gave. But while they have to use that authority rightly, while they have to answer for that authority, God has called all of us under authority to also do something. We are to honor it. We are to honor and respect authority. We are to obey authority. I know we kind of scratch our head there and say, God, I mean, clearly you knew some of these people were going to do a bad job with it. Yes, he did. Yes, he knows that. He knows that in every nation, in every time period, under every form of humanity, yes, people are going to do the wrong things with it. You honor and respect government. Yes, you might want a change. You might pray for a change. You might work toward change. But you make sure that you're working in concert with me. And we work in concert with God as we honor authority. You know, folks, you look at what this passage is saying, and very clearly, if you and I are going to step out of line, if we think, you know what, this authority needs to be taken on, I think at the very minimum, this passage says, boy, you'd really better be careful about doing that. You really should stop and consider that quite possibly you will find yourself not just opposing that authority, but you'll find yourself opposing God. I think at the very minimum, it says, when you and I step out of line to, to take on an authority... We should doubt ourselves. We should doubt why we're doing that. We should doubt our motives in doing that. We should doubt how we are doing it. We need to think really, really carefully. Because what is clear is that as we move in concert with God, we do that by honoring and respecting authority. And boy, folks, as I think about that command on my life, I don't know about y'all, I praise God I'm an American I praise God I live in the United States. Can you imagine somebody in Stalin's Russia trying to obey that? Can you imagine somebody in Hitler's Germany trying to obey that? Or Mao Zedong's China trying to take that on? You know, folks, I don't imagine there's been another group of believers in the history of Christendom that have had it so easy in working with the government that God's placed over us. I mean, think about it. Even when we do disagree... Even when we don't like them, don't we have a way, our government's given us a way to peaceably, to honorably change that authority, change that leadership. Man, what a blessing we have because that commands for all of us in America and everywhere else. Now, the second thing this passage clearly teaches us is that God gave us government to punish evil, to, to restrict evil, but also to promote good. You know, folks, I love watching God's Word come together and answer all the questions. I love watching how beautiful God's Word as it weaves together and takes care of all the issues that you and I are dealing with. I, something I have answered dozens of times in my years in the ministry is, am I supposed to forgive a criminal? Am I supposed to allow charges to be pressed against? I mean, what is, I mean Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Jesus says to forgive. What, what do I do? I say, you forgive. And you let the state do what God's put the state there to do. Do you notice in this passage, verse 3 and 4, God does not call the state to forgive. So if somebody robs me, my job, my responsibility is to forgive that person. The state's responsibility is to punish them. 
It is not the state's responsibility to forgive. It is the state's responsibility to punish. God has given that authority all the way up. Look what it says there in verse 4. To taking life. God has given them the sword. Now he also challenges them to do that justly and to do that rightly. We don't always do that very well. As a matter of fact, I have a favorite verse in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's not just mine. I think it would probably be one of the most... I'd say top five quoted verses in all the Bible. I'd say you'd hear this verse quoted by people everywhere. Top five easily makes that list, but it's almost always misinterpreted. It's almost always misquoted. You know the verse, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Doesn't it just have a little bit of a get even mentality to it? Man, you, you, you got mine, I'll get yours. The Bible said I could. You knocked out my tooth, I'm coming after yours. It almost, you know, it just has this kind of, I'm going to get you sound to it. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because let's be honest, folks. When you and I, and you've done it, and I've done it. When we go to get even, we don't go to get even. We go to get up one. Always. That's why we're giggling. Yeah, it's never about really being even. If you did this to me, I'm doing it to you and a little more. And folks, history is filled with stories, not just of individuals, but of governments who brought punishment, who brought retribution that was beyond the crime. Governments have had the freedom to bring punishments and retribution that was way beyond what anything had done. We saw this week, uh, I saw, I'm not going to mention the country, it was an Islamic country uh, that, that arrested two men for public drunkenness. Now folks, I'm not for drunkenness, public or private. Arrest them. They should be punished. They're going to be beheaded. Now, that's a pretty clear example of a punishment that does not match the crime. Do you understand now the beauty of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? It's saying the punishment must match the crime. The punishment cannot exceed the crime. And it's the government's responsibility, I would say first and foremost, to seek God for wisdom and for justice and make sure that, yes, they punish. But the punishment must be equal to the crime that's been committed. And that is a challenge to come up with that wisdom. We don't do vengeance very well. But God has called the government, has called the state to do that. Now folks, it would be verses like this that would show us very clearly one of the chief responsibilities of government is to raise up judges, to raise up a judicial system. I would use verses like this to say, man, it's the government's responsibility to raise up a police force, to raise up an army. I don't, I don't believe, this is an opinion, just my personal opinion, I don't believe you can use the scriptures to make a case for pacifism, that, that we don't retaliate, that we don't respond back. Clearly, God has ordained a group of people to stop evil, and if that means using the sword, then use the sword. The individual is not given that opportunity individually we're not allowed to get retribution we're not allowed to get even we're not allowed to take on the fight but our state has that responsibility so they put in place a police force an army a judicial system to restrain evil to stop evil to punish it of course they're also to be doing more than stopping bad it says man they're to promote good we're, we're to look for a government that, that sets a pace, that sets examples, that gives us laws, that promotes goodness in people and in community. You know, when we think about what's good in America, we tend to think a lot about freedoms, don't we? Man, the, the, what's good that comes with freedom. But, but what about responsibility? 
Is our government, while they're protecting and securing freedoms, are they also promoting responsibility? You know, folks, we can go all throughout human history and I can show you great people who've accomplished great things and they did not do it under the freedom that you and I enjoy. But you can't go anywhere and find an individual or a group of people that are doing great things and accomplishing great things where there's not personal responsibility. We need a government that promotes good, that does good, that rewards good. You know, when you look at these two things, folks, you, you not only get an idea of what government's to be about, but don't we get a little bit of a prayer list here? Don't we learn a little bit about how to pray for? God, I pray for my, my leaders that you give them wisdom and insight to do what is just and right. That they are punishing evil. That they're, that they're finding what's wrong. That they're promoting what is good. You know, governments get that backwards sometimes, don't they? They'll actually reward and make a way for evil and punish good. Man, God, give our leaders, our Congress, our president, our governor, give them the wisdom to do that. God, I pray they know. I pray they know when they make their next decision that they, they answer to you for that. And again, praise God for where we live. When I look at our policemen in uniform, our military in uniform, can you imagine having to apply these principles when you're looking at the KGB or the SS? How blessed we have been in the military and the police that we honor. Now, as we move forward into verses 5 and 7, Paul doesn't really move into new points, but he's just making application. It's kind of some ugly applications. I want to say, hey, Paul, you can just step off right there. What do you mean pay your taxes? What, what, what do you mean about that? Well, you mind, mind your own business now. This is getting a little bit too real world. Yeah, well, you know what, folks? A believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, you ready for this? Pays his taxes. Now, that doesn't mean a believer can't vote for lower taxes. That doesn't mean a believer can't hire a good CPA and whittle those taxes down to the smallest, and here's the operative word, legal amount. But after we have voted, after we have paid the CPA, we pay our taxes. That's what a follower of Christ does. A follower of Christ also gives honor and respect where it is due. You know, there are, are, are religions, there's cults, there's even branches of Christianity that would suggest that, that things like saying the Pledge of Allegiance is wrong. Or, or that we need to be even careful in a service like this today, a patriotic service where we're honoring our military, we're kind of celebrating the flag. And, and there are people who, by the way, make a good point. When we come to this hour, we do not come to worship a country, a flag, or its military. We come to worship God. There's only one audience we seek to please when we come into this hour, and it's the Lord God. But according to Romans chapter 13, we honor God when we honor the authorities that He's given us. We honor God where we give honor and respect to whom it's due. You know, societies have customs. And, and in those customs, there's respect and honor due. And, and in our society, has a very good thing. We honor those who've put on the uniform, don't we? We honor those who've made that sacrifice, who've put their life on the line for, for my well-being, my protection, and my freedoms. It is right to honor that. So even when we take a part of a worship service, the worship of God, to honor and respect those, we do worship God in doing that. We do honor Him in doing that. Now, as we move into, into verse 8, I can just hear Paul saying, boy, I know as I'm writing these verses, people are just brewing inside. You know, he's thinking, I think he's thinking about the believers under Nero. 
As he writes, he's thinking about, he doesn't know their names, but he knows they'll be out there. There's the believers under Hussein. There's the believers under Hitler. There's those people. And he knows people are reading this and, and they can't, yeah, but what about? Yeah, but what about? I mean, this passage just says, no, that's, what about this government? What about this person, this policy, this issue? And Paul says, let me, let me tell you something, just, just stop. Whoever the governor is, whatever government you're under, here's the bottom line. Let love govern your life. That, that's really all you really need to know. Whatever governor, whatever government is over you, you let go, go, love govern your life. And then notice how quickly he attaches go, the love to the word of God. He says love and then he runs to the Ten Commandments. Do you know why? Because we need help defining love, don't we? I, does in American history, we've got a whole decade defined by love, don't we? What decade was that? The 60s. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Free love, free sex. Yeah, I mean, that's that. Now, folks, that's not to say that everybody in the 60s was that way. That's not to say there weren't churches and believers that prayed through that and, and, and fought that and, and tried to stand up for godliness and values. But we do have, in our, in our American history, we have a decade where there was a turn. And sexual, social customs were thrown out. And it's not that any of these things didn't exist before, but the barriers began to fall. Is that love? Does love produce disease? Does love produce pornography? Does love produce abortion? Does love produce divorce? All these things we need to clean up free love? Does love produce those things? No, I would say hate is what does that. You know, folks, we're at a place in our government now we're going to legalize. I, I say it like it's a done deal. I, I believe it probably very close to is. We're going to legalize homosexual marriage. And boy, it's easy for the church to jump on that because we, don't want, we want to keep the limelight all of all, off of all of our sexual sins. The bottom line is, folks, they're all sexual sins. And they don't flow out of love. They flow out of hate. I mean, look how Paul says love, and then he runs right away to the Ten Commandments. And the first word is, love does not commit adultery. Love respects one man, one woman, inside of a monogamous marriage for life. Love is pure. Love respects human sexuality. Love is faithful to human sexuality. Love promotes life. Love protects it. Love preserves it. Love does not take it. Love does not steal, it does not covet. Isn't that interesting how those two things go right back to back? Stealing is taking somebody's stuff. Coveting is not being so focused on other people's stuff. You know, we actually, I have right now, I think we have a government that is encouraging us to really focus on what somebody else has. And if they have too much or we don't like the way they got it, then collectively we can decide to go take it from them so that we can have it. According to God's word, that's not love. Love respects what other people have. And it's not my job to figure out whether they got it rightly or wrongly. God will take care of that. They'll answer to him for that. And instead of focusing on what others have, I focus on what I have. However much or little it might be. My job is not what you have. My job is to be faithful and good with what I have. That's what love does. Love does not wrong. It doesn't wrong the president. 
It doesn't wrong the governor. It doesn't wrong the Congress or the judges. It doesn't wrong the police officer. It doesn't wrong the teacher. Love just doesn't wrong people. It doesn't wrong my neighbor. And I think Paul's ultimately leading the point. Listen, a lot of governments out there, a lot of them run in different ways. You let your life be governed by love and you basically are not going to be in trouble. Generally speaking, letting love govern your life is going to keep you out of problems. Now, that is a principle, not a promise. Do you understand the difference? It's a generally speaking, love's going to keep you out of trouble. But it's not a guarantee in all situations. Did anybody love better than Jesus? Did anybody love more perfectly than Jesus? How did that work for him with the authorities? Not so good. And not with the religious authorities, not with the political authorities. But think about that. Jesus loved, he honored, he did what was right and good. He certainly challenged the Pharisees, asked questions, confronted the Pharisees. But you know what you don't ever see, not a single story about, not a single sentence. You don't ever see Jesus gather a group of his believers and say, okay, what are we going to do about these Pharisees, man? We got to get them out. These Pharisees are just not right. We got to take care of them. There's, There's no meeting. There's no private meeting about how we're going to take care of these Pharisees. There's no meeting. What are we going to do about this government? What are we going to do about these Romans? They're awful. They're evil. They're violent. They're immoral. We got to do something about this. Jesus spoke about the government one time. He said, uh, you know, if a Roman soldier comes along, and there was a law that said if a Roman soldier came walking into your life, you might be tired. You might have had a long day. You might be sick. You know, you might, it doesn't matter what's going on in your day. But when that Roman soldier walked up to you and said, I want you to carry my pack, you were legally obligated to carry his pack for one mile. Imagine whatever you're doing in your day, you stop right now and you carry that soldier's pack for one mile. Jesus said, you know what? We need to take care of that. Oh, good, man. What what are we going to do, Jesus? Carry it two miles. What? Carry carry it. That's where people stopped following. I I don't want a Jesus that wants me to carry it two miles. I don't want a Jesus that tells me to honor that government. I want a Jesus that gets rid of that horrible person, that fixes that horrible problem, that takes care of that government. Jesus, do something about that. I don't want a Jesus that makes me carry it two miles. Why doesn't Jesus address this? Here's what I think is going on, folks. When you and I get the, the government fixed, when we get the evil people removed... When we take care of all the problems, guess what? We now have a brand new set of problems. You see, the reality is, as long as we're living on this planet, we're going to have authorities that are not worthy of our honor or obedience. As long as we live on this planet, we're going to have governments that are not good. And so the scripture comes to us, and yes, in some other places, talks about how maybe we deal with that and take it on. But it says, you know, your really critical issue, your really big challenge is not how you take it on. It's how you walk with God under that government. And it comes to us and it says, man, that our role is to put on Christ. We're to put on Christ. Folks, this passage is not saying... That we're not to be politically involved. As a matter of fact, come back November 4th, the Sunday before election, and I got a sermon ready for you on being politically involved. You know why? Because Romans 13 says to give honor and respect to whom it's due. Our government calls us to be involved, do they not? Our government calls us to vote. So I've got a government saying be involved and have influence. I've got a scripture that says be salt and light, which is involvement and influence. I am bound. It's my duty. So if I'm going to obey Romans 13, I have to be politically involved. 
So this passage is not saying not to be politically involved. It's just saying be careful. Be careful you don't get caught up that this doesn't run away with you and this is what begins to identify your life. Because folks, honestly, it's pretty easy for us to get identified as being a Republican or, or a Democrat, a liberal or a conservative. Folks, God has not called you and I to put on government. We've been called to put on Christ. And verses 11 through 14 defines for us, describes for us what that looks like. We're not in the back room. We're not in a dark room putting on deals and, and secret meetings. Man, we're a people of the light. We live above board. We live in front of everybody. We are a people of self-control, sexual purity, and a people who will go as far as we can to get along. We don't put on government. We put on Christ. That's a simple reminder, folks, to remember what our identity is. You are not a Republican. You are not a, a Democrat. You're not a liberal. You're not a conservative. You're not a capitalist. You're not a socialist. I would even go so far as to say you're not a Christian Republican or a Christian Democrat. You're a Christian, period. And that alone is what is to define your values and your ideas and your next step. Yes, there's going to be authorities to deal with. Yes, there's going to be governments to deal with. The big challenge and the big call on your life is to put on Christ and to follow Him, to walk with Him in whatever government you're called to do that. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. You understand Romans 13. I don't, think you, I, don't, I don't see how you can help but be thankful. God, I'm so glad I was born in America. How in the world do you do this in some of the countries and some of the governments that human history has known? But folks, just a challenging thought to leave with. As I'm so grateful for the United States and our government and our freedoms, as we've been at this experiment for 236 years, is the church stronger and better because of it? Man, freedom of religion! Are we better because of that? Folks, honestly, I think it would take me about five minutes to put together a debate that says the church has been stronger, faster, sharper, more effective, and more faithful under oppressive governments than it has under free government. Are you saying, I want to be, you, you want to be under an oppressive government, Pastor? Not at all. I don't want to be under an oppressive government for me, for my kids, for this church, or any other church. But what are we doing with it? You see, folks, it's real easy for us to get all churned up inside. Oh, I can't wait till that leader stands before God. Well, I can't wait till that authority, that government has to answer to God. Can I use Paul's words? Wake up. You have to stand before God. And just like that authority figure was given authority, you were given freedom. You were given one of the most unique and easy spots in human history to follow Christ. What did we do with it? Are we advancing the gospel? Is this church is as strong and as fast and as effective as it's ever been under this freedom? I'm not so sure. So maybe instead of thinking about that leader who's going to answer before God, maybe I need to be thinking about how I'm going to answer to God. God, you are good all the time. We sang it this morning, didn't we? Every good thing comes from God. 
Our government came from God. And I answer to him. I answer to him for how I lived and how I followed Christ under that government. What's your answer going to be? Maybe we need to start rewriting some history today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you and I am grateful. God, I, I recognize this church has been very, very pure, very strong, very faithful under horrible governments, under oppressive leaders. I wonder if we even will acknowledge and recognize that in communist China there are more Christians than there are in the United States of America. Communism and a hatred for Christianity did not keep the church from growing in those places. Did not keep people from pursuing the Scriptures and pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I'm thankful for my country. I pray You'd help me to move beyond gratitude and start thinking about responsibility. And start thinking about how am I following Christ under this government, under this opportunity that's been given to me. I pray that for myself. I pray that for each believer in this room. I pray that for every believer across the United States today that is in a church and celebrating God and country. God, may we be faithful. You've given us such a good thing. May we be faithful to pray, to be involved. But more important than any of that, simply to put on Christ and live well for you. It's in Jesus' name we ask for your help. Amen.